for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you've stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review about your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by giving online at believerschurch.tv. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We're located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. In his uh, monumental work, uh, The Will to Power, philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche wrote that power, not money, not success, not sex, was the driving force behind all humans. Power. Another way to say this is that we are projecting the authority of our egos over the authority of other egos. We like control. We like domination. We like to be the best. And we certainly like the attention that all of this brings. All right, we're in part two of a series titled, It Is Written, and in this series, we're discussing the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness that is recorded in great detail in the Gospel of Matthew and also the Gospel of Luke, and to a lesser extent in the Gospel of Mark. Last week, we identified three temptations that Jesus faced and overcame as he went through these temptations in the wilderness, and we also said that these temptations cover a lot of ground as it pertains to the sins that we struggle with as well. All right, and these are the three temptations as follows. The problem with appetite, which we talked about last week, which we could better classify as hedonism. The problem with power, which is what we're going to talk about today, or egoism. And the problem that we'll talk about next week, which I think a few of you might want to miss, the problem with possessions, all right, or materialism. We also discussed that these three temptations in the wilderness occur right after the baptism of Jesus and right before Jesus enters into a a three-and-a-half-year public ministry that is going to change the face of the earth. So this is the reason that this is so significant. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be exactly where we were last time. If you want to use your phone, that's fine. If you want to look up on the screen, that's fine too. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 is where we're going to look. And today the emphasis is going to be on verses 5 through 7 as we look at this second temptation. So then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. We talked about the significance of it wasn't that Jesus just decided I'm going to enter this wilderness period, but that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into this area to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, this was last week, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, and this is the first it is written statement, It is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil, and this is where our emphasis is today, 
Then the devil took him up to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Now, I don't know if you've recognized this, but this is the only for it is written in this passage that is actually the enemy. So one way that the enemy is often tricking us is by using Scripture. You have to pay very close attention to that. So he says, For it is written... He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said, countering him with scripture, again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, third temptation, the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdom of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. So I want us to consider as we talk about power, as many of you all of a sudden say, Well, I'm not that significant of a person. Uh, Let's not focus today on the power of a CEO or the power of a celebrity, or the, the power of a, natu- a, a national or international political leader. All right, let's not necessarily look at that kind of power, because power also means the desire to control others on a small scale, and the desire to have dominion or control over one's own soul. Okay, so if this is the reality, that it's that kind of power that's going to impact probably every single person that is in here today. So again, you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not a president. I'm not a, an athlete. I'm not a world leader. I'm not a business owner or a manager. How does this actually apply to me? Consider these questions. Does your job afford you the opportunity to take advantage of others? Because of your financial position, maybe, maybe you do pretty well. Because of your financial position, do you ever look down upon others that may be in a lower financial situation than you? Do you exercise power over your spouse? I think a lot of times we have a very strong misunderstanding of what the Bible means by mutual submission. Do you grapple with God regarding control over your own life? All right, so what did Jesus think about power, about recognition, and about prestige? Now, the reason that this is so important is because we have a culture that pushes us forward to be more and more and more, to achieve, to be successful, to have the greatest seat at the table, to have all of this notoriety. This is what is pushed in Western culture. And if you pay very close attention, the church in many ways backs this as well. So what is it that Jesus has to say about these these things? I want us to consider today what a 40-day wilderness experience that Jesus goes through, that we all need to go through in one way or another as we lead, as we go forward as followers of Jesus, But what does a 40-day wilderness experience do 
to the possibility of power. All right, three things that I want us to recognize today, and the first is this. Jesus uses humility to resist power. We're not very good at humility. We really struggle with it. A lot of times we we may, may be willing to give credit to other people and not necessarily take all of the credit ourselves, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're lining up to wash someone else's feet. We really struggle in this area of humility often. It was Henry Nouwen that wrote about the importance of downward mobility. You see, we live in a world that is measured by success, a world that is measured by accomplishment, and a world that encourages achievement. But the way to the cross is the way of downward mobility, and this makes absolutely no sense at all especially in our current, our current context, in the world that we live in today. So instead of receiving more power, we are actually encouraged to resist power. And we do this through learning humility through a wilderness experience. The reason this wilderness experience is so necessary is because humility is one of those things that's often not learned on its own. Overconfidence is. All right, a lot of the emotions, a lot of the things that we we express, our desire to get ahead, that is something that comes more natural. But this kind of humility to resist power is something that we have to learn. It's a process of constant lowering. So what about the actions of Jesus? Jesus takes the lowest seat at the table. Jesus washes the feet of the disciples, including Judas Iscariot, who is going to betray him. Jesus dines with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus goes to be with the Father as all the crowds are starting to brag on him, as the crowds are growing larger. What's this typically going to do to a pastor or to a business leader or to a community organizer or to an athlete? It's going to inflate their ego. What Jesus does is he goes to the Father to always make sure that he's maintaining the humility and the balance that he needs. Jesus forgives enemies. Jesus dies a criminal's death for humanity. Humility is always going to lead not to upward mobility. I'm becoming more and more and more, but instead downward mobility, I'm becoming less and less and less. The longer that I'm in ministry, the longer that I follow Jesus, the more I feel as if I'm learning and growing in wisdom, the less I recognize I'm actually becoming. That I'm becoming smaller and smaller and smaller over time. But unfortunately, we often see the opposite in, in many circumstances, including in many churches. So if you are a follower of Jesus, like if you recognize yourself as that, or if you want to use the expression Christian, if you are that, please hear this, you have never arrived. You've never showed up in a place where you know everything and you get to tell all those poor sinners everything that you're, they're doing wrong as you're doing everything right. You're never the expert. You never have all the answers. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are spending enough time in the wilderness 
that continues to push you lower and lower and lower and lower. As we say to ourselves, well, that doesn't sound very fun. That doesn't sound very appealing. It's because it's the opposite of what we are taught in society. We're a prideful people. We are to be gaining more and more. And as we will talk about next week, we, were, we are to be accumulating more and more stuff. Jesus says the way to the cross is the way of downward mobility. All right, but also notice this, because this is really important. Jesus uses surrender to prevent power. He uses surrender to prevent power. What you're going to notice in this three-and-a-half-year public ministry of Jesus, just like we just talked about with the crowds, is even though there's some hostility by the Jews, even though there is some hostility by other uh, what are called mystery cults in the ancient world, by other religious groups, Jesus recognizes that a lot of people like his message. A lot of people like the miracles. A lot of people like what Jesus is talking about and how radically different it is than what they're used to. Jesus has a following. There is no question about that. People are following him from town to town. But what he does is he is effectively using surrender to prevent power. Why is Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to even begin with? Are you ready for this? It's so that he can go forward, beginning with the Sermon on the Mount, going into these miracles and all these radical things that we see in his life. He can go forward knowing that he has sacrificed individual autonomy. That Jesus goes through his life, and this is probably the most fascinating component, that Jesus can go through his life the entire time understanding it's not about me. It's about projecting the will, the power, and the goodness of the Father. It's about carrying this message. So, so Jesus wanting to go do, do his thing for a day. Jesus pouting because he doesn't have enough time and wants to go have all of his, his time to himself. It doesn't exist. Now, there's a lot of resting. There's a lot of contemplation. But this is all to regain focus on the mission. And the mission ahead of Jesus is the cross. So I want you to consider for just a second, consider what your perfect day looks like. And it's very likely that your perfect day is not the same perfect day as your spouse. Or your perfect day is not the same perfect day as one of your best friends or your kids. What does a perfect day really look like? For, for some of you, it's not working and laying in bed all day. For some of you, it's eating anything that you want to be able to eat and not gain weight. Well, I guess that's just impossible, all right? But, but we have to be realistic about this. But I was thinking about this. All right, in my life and over time, what does my perfect day look like? So to give you a little bit of insight onto me, into me, I'd be in a large European city. I love to travel to Europe. Maybe a large American city or a college town in the United States, Boulder or, or New York City or, or Paris or Prague, somewhere like that. And I get up, and the first thing I do really early, I, I like to be an early riser. That's changed a little bit with two small kids. 
but I like to be an early riser and take a long run. This is misery to some of you already. I get that. All right? Take a long run in a city, preferably in a, in a park of one of, these, of one of these cities. Go have a gigantic breakfast at a diner right after that. Bacon, eggs, sausage, low carb, of course. All right? Have a good breakfast. All right? And then, and I've taken a shower, of course. But then I go, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking in bookstores, uh, maybe stop, st- stop by an art museum. I know this is misery to some of you. This is my day. This is my dream. Get over it, okay? Then I go, I go back to the hotel that we're staying at because we don't live in this place, uh, grab my family, Beth, the kids. We go have a good lunch. We go have a, watch an afternoon movie, and here's the miracle part. My kids don't cry and ruin it. Like we're able to sit through an entire movie and it's wonderful and we have that experience. We go back to the hotel. We have a babysitter, just some random person from another country. I don't care who it is, all right? A babysitter. Then Beth and I go out to dinner and we go to a concert. How good would a concert feel right now with this virus? We, we go see the Stones or Fleetwood Mac. I, I don't know who it would be. I, I could give you a zillion that I would love to go see. That's one of the biggest things about this virus that's killing me. All right, but here's the thing. Everything that I just referenced was about me. I don't know about you, but when I think about my perfect day, I usually don't think about other people very much because Beth may have some objections to to the Rolling Stones. All right? And I attempted for years to build an entire life around me. Where do I want to work? What kind of income do I want to have? I've got my five-year plan. I've got my 10-year plan. By the time I'm 40, by the time I'm 50, this is the kind of money I'm going to be earning. This is what I want to have put back. This is the life that I want from my kids. And you know what Jesus did? He destroyed all of it. You know what Beth and I very often say? We make plans pretty often. They never work out. The dream house that we want, We don't live in it. I told her, and I'll talk about this more in the future, whenever we talked about moving to Tennessee, do you want to know one thing I said whenever we got married? I love you very much, but there's there's things you talk about when you get married. I'm never moving back to Tennessee. That's the way that God works. And over and over, because this is what you start to realize over time, is you are giving up authority and power in your life is that God's way has always been better than my way 100% of the time. And everything that I have to do today is because of the grace of God and the goodness of God and not my portfolio or not any decision that I ever made myself. But this is extremely difficult for us. So what do the disciples do? They surrender individual autonomy and they spend their entire lives taking the seat with the least honor. The seat with the least honor. Downward, 
mobility. And I don't want to deliberately sound critical of larger churches or, me- or mega churches because that is not my intention. But sometimes when I look at pastors in these large churches, I wonder, how do they manage their ego? How do they manage humility? The only way to do that, 40 days in the wilderness. I don't want to condemn well-known Christian authors and speakers because many of these I enjoy. I read their books. I love to hear them speak. I listen to their podcasts, all those kinds of things. But sometimes I wonder, how do they, how do they balance uh, power and ego? I think what we see a lot of times in a lot of churches, in a lot of situations, is they're not able to. And unfortunately, they self-destruct. And by the way, every single person in here is capable of that. So before you get a little too high on your horse, recognize the importance of that. You know, I'll tell you what, and I, and I really believe this. Sometimes I believe that the names that will be the most exalted in heaven are names that you and I have never heard, that we've never heard. The nursing home chaplain, the layperson that dedicates their life to teaching kids with disabilities, the older faithful woman that prays and prays and prays, saints of the backstage, saints that are never seen, and there is a name, and I hope this doesn't go to his head when I say this, but Ryan Oaks. Ryan Oaks never asks for anything. Whenever we're in bed sound asleep on Sunday mornings, he's setting the thermometers that keeps us all freezing to death. All right? Somebody's going to give an amen to that. He's in here all the time. He doesn't make a penny. He's dedicated to this church, and he never asks credit for anything. Saints of the backstage. You can have your 50 bucks later. All right? The kingdom operates under a different order, and make no mistake about it, the first shall be last. This is the way that it works. One day, the only thing that will matter is what you surrendered for the cause of Christ and the fruit that you perceive to look a certain way actually looks nothing like that at all. So lastly, what we want to recognize, we said that he uses humility. Jesus uses humility to resist power. Jesus uses surrender to prevent power. But Jesus also used faith to transfer power. He used faith to transfer power. Who is Jesus transferring power to? The Father. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. Every single bit of the direction, every single bit that he is pushing forward, and we must do in the same way, is toward the Father. In Eugene Peterson's translation of the Bible, the message, this is like a very uh, paraphrased version of the Bible, but we see that Satan and Jesus are both well-versed in the Scripture. This is going back to verses 5 and 6 in this translation, the message. It says, for the second test, and this is the test of power, the devil took him up to the holy city. He set him on top of the temple and said, since you're God's son, jump. You have the ability to do that. If you're truly God's son, you have the power to do that. 
jump. The devil goaded him by saying, and the devil will do this to you. He specifically quotes Psalm 91. He knows the scripture. He has placed you in the care of angels. They will catch you so that you want as much as stub your toe on a stone. But Jesus countered with another citation from Deuteronomy. Jesus is quoting from the Torah. Don't you dare put the Lord God to the test. As a follower of Jesus, you hold more power than you may ever recognize. But here's the thing. You have to channel and understand and recognize where that power comes from. It's the only way, in a healthy way, that you are ever going to make it in your life is if you recognize that you have it, and then you surrender it. You recognize that you have it, but through humility, you resist it. You recognize that you have it because you are a son of God, but you transfer it to the Father through the power of faith. So do you want to know why so many churches have problems? Why so many churches are going through the issues that they are constantly going through? It's because the pastor or the leadership of that church have never spent 40 real days in the wilderness. You don't know why there are so many hypocrites in the world, so many hypocrites even in our area. It's because these hypocrites have never spent 40 days in the wilderness. Why is God often misquoted? And why do we try to make God in our image instead of living in God's image? It's because we don't know him through a 40-day period and experience in the wilderness. Why aren't people stepping into a calling? Why aren't people serving? Why aren't people recognizing their gifts? Because we've never spent 40 days in the wilderness. You may not consider yourself to be a controlling person. And this is usually where the spouse nudges the other and says, you better be paying real close attention. You may not consider yourself to be a controlling person and you may not consider power to be an issue in your life even with everything that has been said today. But I want to challenge you with three metaphorical questions that will establish where you stand. All right, three metaphorical questions that I want you to think about that will establish where you stand. This is the first. Have you ever washed another person's feet? All right, maybe you literally have, maybe you haven't, but this is a metaphor. So what I'm saying underneath that is, does your life actually exhibit full throttle, 100% service to others? If your life does not exhibit in every situation service to others, you have a power or a control problem. Question number two. Are you really familiar with the lowest seat at the table? Are you really familiar with that? Meaning, literally, can you survive without the credit, 
without getting the glory, without needing all the attention. I told a close friend of mine in a therapy session not long ago, because I try to be really, really open and honest about myself. I try to deal with my wounds. But I told him, I said, I think I deal with with hero syndrome. And he said, what do you mean by that? And I said, I really don't know. I just kind of made it up. I said, but I feel like sometimes I like to be the one that rescues and comes in and saves the day and then gets the pat on the back. That's really not fun to admit. But it's true sometimes. And it's something that I'm in recovery for. Number three, are you willing to hand over your shirt and your coat? And what I mean by this is the tunic that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. Are you ready to give those things over? Or more literally, do you understand in your life, in every circumstance, in every situation, everything that you walk through, everything that you go through, it's not about you. If you do happen to be married, do you understand mutual submission? Whenever you're in a situation and you see a need that you know that you can meet, do you reach out to meet that need? Listen, following Jesus is radical. Following Jesus is a far departure from a simple religious experience or what a lot of tradition teaches us. It is a lifestyle in which we turn over individual autonomy in every possible way. To quote now and again, the way to the cross, the way to God, is the way of downward mobility. This is the full quote. The way of the Christian leader is not the way of upward mobility in which our world has invested so much, but the way of downward mobility, ending on the cross. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed this morning, I'd like to come to you first, and, and, I, and I feel as I was praying this morning, that there may be some of you that have, that have not released power in any way whatsoever. And the reason that you haven't is because you've never, you've never fully embraced and accepted Christ in a way in which you understand what it means to be a full and authentic follower of Jesus. It's just not a decision that you have made. Maybe you prayed a prayer at one point. Maybe you tried at one point. But you never really turned everything over. And if you've never accepted Christ before, I want to give you an opportunity to do so today. I'm going to pray a very, very simple prayer. Okay, and there is not um, a lot of meaning in the words of this prayer. It's the direction of your heart and your desire right now to recognize that you are broken. And you've maybe had a religious experience. Maybe you've, you, you went to church at some point. Maybe you've even been active in church. But that Jesus simply is not present. And if that's you this morning, you can simply repeat this prayer after me. Now, to yourself, in your head, you can repeat this prayer. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that the power and the control 
has been in my hands. I'm surrendering that to you today. Forgive me of my sins. And from this day forward, it is my desire to follow you. Now, if you're in here this morning and you prayed that prayer, would you simply lift your hand so we can acknowledge that that decision has been made? Anyone in here except Christ for the first time? Now, there are others of you that are in here today. And you know that I've spoken to you because you know that you have idols all around you. And you know that control may be an issue in your marriage. Control may be an issue with your kids. Control may be an issue with your friends. Control may be an issue at work. You know that having, maybe you're the person that you need more prestige, you need more power. Or maybe there are just simply things in your life that you have not surrendered and turned over. We are going to sing a song today that we sing here pretty often, uh, Come to the Altar. And even though we're not gathering right now a lot around our altar because of this, because of this um, pandemic, what I'd like to invite you to do, if you're comfortable with it, is to kneel down where you are, at your chair, if you're able, uh, beside your chair, Simply grab your, the person beside you, if it's a friend, if it's your spouse, and pray with them. And this is your opportunity as we close in worship to have a time of open confession and repentance so that our hearts can be made clean and our hearts can be made right. So as we begin to sing, if you find yourself needing to be in a posture of prayer. Please don't let anything hold you back. Otherwise, in just a second, we're going to ask you to to stand and join us to sing. Father, we come to you this morning again just thanking you so much for your goodness. Thanking you so much for your holiness. Thanking you so much that, that we can always have a fresh start, Father, that if we kneel and we pray before you, that your grace is new and your mercy is new, as the psalmist tells us, every single day. Father, we as a body surrender power. We love you. We turn everything over to you. In Christ's name, amen.